Mark 13, and uh, we'll, uh, we're, back, we're down here now in verse 24. Uh, we've been going through uh, the issues here in this second Olivet, the second uh, discourse here. Uh, and again, just so we understand where we're at and kind of remind ourselves because of what we're now going to see here, uh, Mark's viewpoint, Mark's perspective is that issue of, of the servant. He's focusing in on the service that the 12 apostles, the little flock, are going to have in the absence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's on his way to Calvary. He's going to die, be buried, rose again, rise again, and then he's going to ascend into heaven. And in that absence, here's what's going to happen. And we've been talking about uh, the, these, the 70th week of Daniel, verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation... The sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And again, as we go through this here and as Mark is going to focus in now on the climax of really the 70th week, um, we call it the tribulation. Uh, in Matthew 24, uh, I think the verse, um, it's Matthew 24 and uh, verse uh, 29, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and so forth. So you have an issue here of uh, also Matthew calls it great tribulation, tribulation, great tribulation, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. Sometimes this is time frames referred to. All of those are legitimate. Uh, I like to use the 70th week of Daniel because it's very specific because the day of the Lord is a big deal. Uh, the day of the Lord actually starts with the Babylonian captivity, and then it's been running ever since uh, along here because it has to do with the uh, persecution and the tribulation of the nation of Israel. So as we begin here, again, th these verses are going to begin to, are, are telling us about the time period of not only the days prior to the 70th week, and we've already seen what the little flock and the believers are going to be doing back up there in 7, 8, 9, and 10, and 11, and so forth. But then also in the midst of the week, verse 14, the middle of the week activity, and so forth. And now, verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, now he's going to talk about the climax. Here's how all this is going to end. And here's what's going to be happening when it does end. And again, as we go through this, verse 24, uh, the, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost parts of the earth, to the uttermost part of heaven. And again, the issue, then they shall see. Then they shall, then he's going to, so again, they've asked that question back in verse 4, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign wherein, when all these shall come to pass. So he's going to give them two elements here, really, about the trigger, the the one is going to be the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, okay? Right now, in Mark, historically, this is his meek and lowly coming. This is his first coming, 
He, he's, he's, it's a very humble thing. Uh, and, and on Sunday nights, we're, we're in the Luke, we're in the Luke one in the story there with Mary, but he's going to be born in a manger in a stable. It's very humbling. He's not there as the triumphal king. In Matthew, when the when the wise men come, they find the young child in a house, and they've got to provide the gifts for him so that he's got the financial resources to escape the persecution. So the first issue here is going to be he's going to come back in great power and glory. And then the second issue is verse 27, and that's the issue of the regathering of the believing remnant and, and so forth. But, but what has to happen before that is all of this is going to come to a great climax. And they want to know what this is going to look like. Well, here are the signs that are going to happen. Now, I'll remind you, because what happens is, is people say, well, we're going to hear verse 7, and when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be. See that? What do they say? Oh, the end's here. What do we We have rumors of wars and wars, but the verses don't say that, okay? And as we go through this, you have to pay a careful attention to what the verses actually say. Verse 8, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes and divers place, and there shall be famines and troubles. And everybody goes, see, look, it's all falling apart. Earthquakes, this and that. But then what does the verse say? These are the beginning of, not the end of, but the beginning of sorrows. So when you come back and when you come into, especially verse 24 and 25, which is where we're going to really kind of look tonight, people get all rammed up about stuff and they're not reading the verses. Okay? And they're, make, they're trying to make the verses say something that they're not really. And you have to be very careful with that. Because notice what verse 24 says. But in those days, after that tribulation, these things are going to take place after something has already been brought to a conclusion. See? The, tribula- that, the 70 weeks is coming to an end. Then this is going to happen. It's not before or later or in the middle or any of that stuff. Uh, we had a guy one time here, he was yakking about some stuff, and I said, you're not reading what the verse says. You're reading what you'd like it to say. But you're not reading the verse. So as we go through this, I want you to understand, to look at what is actually being said. Verse 24, after, in, but in those days after that tribulation, um, come over and get Isaiah 10. And let's see what's happening here. And, and again, I know we've looked at some of this, but I want you to look at it in light of verse 24 here. When he's after that tribulation, when he's through with the abomination in the, in the, in, 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 of desolation, where it ought not to be, the Antichrist, when he's through using the Antichrist to accomplish the purpose of purging out the rebel out of Israel, then he was going to destroy him. And that comes, now we're at the end. When all that's finished, when he's when God is finished with the Antichrist, again, what is the Antichrist doing? 
He's purging out that rubble. Get that dross out. He's purifying the nation. Then God's going to destroy him. After that, then we're going to get some things to come. Look at Isaiah 10. Look at verse 5. And again, we're talking about this day, after that, the tribulation, all right? We're, and we're, so the time-wise, we're at the conclusion of the 70th week of Daniel. Verse 5, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. Now, God is talking, okay? And in prophecy, by the way, in prophecy, the Assyrian is a picture of, of the Antichrist, okay? And the Antichrist is identified as the Assyrian, the one that comes in and takes off the northern ten tribes, but he's also identified as Pharaoh back in Egypt. Come over to chapter 52. You remember in, in, in Exodus 1, uh, get Isaiah 52. you got to Get uh, Isaiah 52 and then go back and get Exodus 1. So you read these. Okay? And <laughs> at the Roman study a couple weeks ago, when we were looking at the Jews of Asia and the Jews, Aquila uh, and Priscilla, you know, not the believing remnant was not in the synagogue. They weren't up in the temple. And the reasons why, it somebody afterwards said, that was a lot of information. I go, well, you got to have all that on board to stay clear of any of the pitfalls that pop up. Well, here's another one. When we're talking about the Antichrist, the Assyrian, look at Exodus 1, verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. See that? Now come to chapter 52 of Isaiah and look at verse 3. Verse 4, I'm sorry. For thus saith the Lord God, My people went down aforetime in Egypt to sojourn there, and there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Well, wait a second. Exodus 1.8 said what? There's a new pharaoh, a new king. He's identified later as being who? The Assyrian. So when you come back to Isaiah 10... O Assyrian, in prophecy, what he's talking about when he's talking about the Assyrian, first of all, he is from Syria, okay, historically in there. But, and then he talks about Pharaoh and the Egyptian. And by the way, in, in, in Ezekiel, there's a, another Pharaoh out in the future, Assyrian. What, what he's talking about there is he's talking about the spirit behind the persecution of Israel in Egypt. The same spirit that moved in, that usurper that moves in in Egypt and oppresses Israel is the same one that's behind the guy here that's going to that go that in, in historical, the Assyrian that comes in and gets the northern ten tribes, and it's the same spirit that's behind the future guy out there. We call him the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition. So in pr prophecy, this is happening historically, yes, but it's also the beginning of the day of the Lord, and, it, and that, that's the issue, again, of judgment on Israel, 
it's the one who is bringing all of that on. You know, back in, in Revelation, he talks about the seven mountains, the seven hills. And everybody goes, oh, geographically, it's Rome and all this stuff. And no, it's not. Mount, and by the way, the seven in Revelation there, he calls them seven kings. He says five have been, one is, and one is to come. Well, the five that's been there, Syria, Egypt, Babylon, Medes and the Persians, uh, I missed one, Greece, okay, Rome is there now when John writes, and the kingdom coming is the Antichrist. So, um, boy, that bugs me. I miss. It's time for a new Bible. Um, It just bothers me when I am flowing and I'm thinking and I don't think about it accurately. Only $80, that's right. There you go. Right in the old pocket. I get my money. So you got Egypt, Syria, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the Antichrist. You can buy it for 30 Is that what you said? Oh, okay. Who? Okay, never mind. Nick? Oh, okay. Isaiah 10. So when you come to the prophetic scriptures, one, you have a historical meaning. Two, there's a doctrinal, uh, prophetic, dispensational meaning where it is applied to a broader than just history. And then obviously there's the spiritual application in the third. So the Assyrian here, verse 5, God's talking, 10.5, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation i will send him against a hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will i give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets notice he is god is using this guy as a rod to punish israel a hypocritical nation a people who are the people of his wrath. They're walking in their own ways. They're disobeying him. They're not his people. What's he doing here? See, that's why when you look at it in the book of Revelation, it isn't a worldwide event. It's specific, it, it does impact the world because you can't do some of that stuff and not. But it's specifically the intensity is on that Middle Eastern territory. Why? Because it's the hypocritical nation. In Daniel 9, he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and the city to finish. And then he gives that list. So when you back up here, the Assyrian, the Antichrist, he's going to be used by God to, to purge out, clean up, purify the nation, get the unbeliever there and the believing remnant there, clearly identified. Verse 7, Howbeit he, and that's the Antichrist, meaneth not so, neither does his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. Here's what the Antichrist is going to say. For he saith, Are not my princes altogether kings? You know what he says? I'm the big guy on the block, and I got all these little dudes following me. I got all these little kings, they're they're mine, those ten toes. 
He takes one, gets two, and then the next thing he gets them all. Verse 10, at, as my hand hath found the kingdoms of the idols, and whose graven image did excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria, shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her, see the I, I have done this, I, he's the big guy, I'm going to get this done, I'm going to come in there, and I, because I'm the big guy, I'm the head guy here, you know what I'm going to do, I'm going to weigh lace, weigh, I'm going to take them all, they're mine, you know what God says, I'm going to send him, but he's not thinking about doing it as an obedience to God's will. See, he's using the wrath of men to praise him, the verse says. Now look at verse 12. Because here's what God says then. Whereof it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria. And the glory of his high looks. Look at what he's going to do. He's going to destroy. Verse 13. For he saith, by the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom. For I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. You know what I'm doing? I, God says, you didn't do that. I'm using you to destroy a hypocritical people. I'm using you to, to get out the rebel, to identify the rebel, to draw, to kill the, uh, the chaff to the, garner, to the fire. I'm doing it. And you know what's going to happen? When you're done doing that, I'm going to destroy you. Look down at verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day... <laughs> What day? The day of the Lord here. The day here when this is at the end, when he's destroying. That the remnant of Israel, notice how remnant, and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of a sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. Why? The Antichrist did his job. He, he, God has destroyed. And then he brings in that believing remnant. It's identified. Now, after, come over to Ezekiel 20. We're going to get Ezekiel 20, Malachi 3, and Matthew 3. But we're going to do it Ezekiel 20, okay? After the Antichrist has done his, after he has deceived, after he's done his deception work, God's going to destroy him. Then he's going to bring that believing remnant. He's going to come out there and gather up the believing remnant, gather up Israel, and bring them into the kingdom. What's he going to do? The adversary has done his job at the end of the 70th week. Then the Son of Man is going to come by in power and glory. We'll look at that in greater detail next time. He's going to come back, destroy him, and then he's going to do what? Send the angels out to gather up the believing remnant and bring them in. But it's after what? After that tribulation. Okay? 
Now look, if you will, at Ezekiel 20, and look at verse 33. Ezekiel 20, 33. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you. And I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein ye are scattered with the mighty hand and with the stretched out arm and with fury poured out. Notice Israel is scattered out amongst the nations. That's what the fifth course of judgment, Leviticus 26, is all about. Them being scattered. What did James 1 once to the 12 tribes scattered abroad? They're not in Jerusalem, the believing remnant. They are scattered out amongst. And that's Israel's condition. He's, yes, Babylon comes up, but not everybody goes to Babylon. See, they get scattered out. Yet Medes and Persians, Greece, all the way out to the end, what are they? They're scattered out there. You remember in Acts 8, there's nobody left in Jerusalem? Why? Under the persecution, what'd they do? They scattered. Why? It's time for this stuff to come to pass. That's what the Lord's getting them ready for in Mark 13, Luke and Matthew and John. He's getting them ready for this very day. Verse 35, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the people. And there I will plead with you face to face, like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So will I plead with you, say, saith the Lord God. And I will cause you to pass under the rod. There's Isaiah 10, the Antichrist. And I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out from among you the rebel. And them that transgress against me, I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. He's going to, again, put Israel under the rod of the Antichrist. That unbeliever is going to be deceived. Those that don't love the truth, they're going to be taken into believing a lie. They're going to be deceived into trusting the Antichrist. They're going to believe that he's the real deal. He's the real Messiah. And in the end, the Lord says, you know who's going in? Only that remnant. Only that believing element, that little flock. Because they're the ones that didn't fall for it. Come over to Malachi chapter 3. So again, the tribulation, has its purpose the 70th week of Daniel, its purpose is to purify the nation of Israel. Okay? He isn't after the Gentiles. You know when he's going to get them? Great white throne judgment. Right here, he's not getting them there. He's, he's after, because Israel's got to be clean first so then they can then go out into the nations and do Matthew 28 and do their job. Israel isn't clean yet, so we go through seven years of cleanup, get them done. Now we go out, we go thousand years into the millennial king, or into the uh, kingdom intro to the kingdom, where Israel is righteous, is proper, can go out now into the Gentile nations. And when the Gentile nations reject them, the great white throne judgment gets them. Okay, Malachi three, look at verse one. 
Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now, that's John the Baptist. By the way, that's where we're at in Luke 1. <laughs> okay? And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delighteth. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Then the Messiah is going to show up. So watch verse 2. But who may abide the day of his coming? Now, we start at John the Baptist, and we ran right to the end. See? Who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Now think about fuller's soap and a refiner's fire. He's going to put them through. He's going to, well, he's going to say, verse 3, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. What's he going to do? He's going to come in there, and he's going to put them through the fire, the test of that, and then he's going to take soap and wash them up. You know? He's going to clean them up. He's going to purify them. He's going to, what, why would you, what do you do with the silver and the gold? You're getting rid of the, un, the, unpur, the impurities. You're getting rid of the dross. That's what he's doing here. You remember Daniel and his three buddies, and they go, the three buddies go into the furnace of fire and with Nebuchadnezzar, a picture of this. And that's what we're doing. Now, Matthew 3. Come over to Matthew 3. And watch, oh, John the Baptist picked this right up. John, uh, Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So right there, there's where we are. What's he doing? Preach, kingdom's coming. It's here. It's time. Let's get on going. We've got to purify. We've got to get the nation ready. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's get our thinking right. Let's get everything right where we're at. Verse 5, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. Notice they're outside of the city. They're in the region. They're outside. They're in the wilderness. He should have been in the city, but the city's unclean. And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, where did that come from? <laughs> well, because we're, it's, we're on timing. We're, it's time for what? It's time for the first coming of the Messiah, Isaiah 9, verse 6, and then yet what are we going to do? We're going to come in here now, and we're going to get them ready to clean their clocks. But notice how, how, why are they fleeing from the wrath? to? How do they flee from the wrath to come? Let's ask it like that. Well, verse 6, what do they do? They're baptized of John, confessing their sins. They have to have the water baptism. See, Verse 8 bringing forth thereof, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Now watch, John, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. 
And now also the axe is laid upon the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Don't you think just because of your lineage you're good to go, there's a spiritual qualification that you don't have? Now watch verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. And again, baptism in Scripture is the issue of identification. What are we doing? We're identifying the believing remnant here. By the way, in John, when, when, when the Lord's baptized, he's made manifest to Israel. He's identified to Israel as Messiah. John says, I'm going to baptize you with water under repentance. Why would they need water baptism? Israel is a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. The priests are to be baptized, they're to be cleansed in their anointing ceremony. So what's that believing remnant going to do? They know the shepherd's voice, and they're going to go in through the door the way they're supposed to, and that's the issue of water baptism. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. There's Acts 2. Okay. Pentecost. And then with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What's he going to do? Judgment's coming, and we're going to purify the situation. We're going to get in here. And we're going to, you guys want to believe the lie? You go ahead, believe the lie. And the people that are over, that believe the lie, they're chaff. They're <laughs> no value. That's what chaff is. The believers, they're the wheat. There's where the value is. And we'll walk them in. Okay? So when you come back to Mark 13 on your way to Luke 21, we'll get there in just a second. When he says in verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation. So once the tribulation has separated the wheat from the chaff, and that's done, he's going to come back in power and glory, and he's going to destroy the Antichrist and his, the followers of the Antichrist. At, again, after that. That's the key here. Okay, you know, we hear all kind of weird things out there from time to time about how, you know, the tribulation and how bad it's going to be, and we're in it now and all this stuff. And yet when you look at this stuff, that ain't the case at all. Because what's going to happen, verse 24, after that tribulation, when he comes back, destroys the Antichrist and his followers, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And now you really want to hear some weird stuff. Now they go, okay? Because when does this happen, though? Not at the beginning. We're at the end. We're at the climax of it. And again, these are the signs, all of these phenomena associated with judgment happening okay and that's the point we have to realize here is the, the this again verse 26 and then shall they what see 
They're asking him, what are the signs? And so he's been given the information. You want to see the, the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, then first this has got to happen, then this is going to happen, and then he's going to be destroyed, and boom. And then, then what's going to happen? There's going to be some phenomena happen, and it's associated with darkness, with judgment. All of this cosmic, come on over to Luke 21. All of the cosmic uh, activity here, disruption, disturbance, all right? It points to wrath. It points to judgment. Luke 21 and verse 22. Let's start there. Luke 21 and verse 22. Jesus is talking here, obviously. And we're in the same scenario as Mark 13. He says, then, and but yet, and Luke gives more details, a little different perspective. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance. Well, that would indicate judgment, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. That's judgment on Israel. That's Mark 13, where we're at. They're purging out the rebel. He's moving, the Antichrist and the lie program, the deception program is in full swing. Now, watch verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations which with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring. Now, if you think about that, the moon. The moon is, is given to rule the night. The, the, wa the, 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 the uh, activity of the ocean and the... It, all driven by the moon. When the moon, and, and, and <laughs> to say differently is to ignore Genesis 1, okay? But when you, when you look at that, I, I know a guy, he lives down in Florida. He, he goes fishing based off of where the moon is. And every time he goes fishing off that, he wins. He brings home his, his litter. Why? Because the moon is in charge of all that. That's what it's guiding. It's, well, if you all of a sudden have all of that in distress, what's happening on the earth? Perplexity is there. Things are just, they're, they're, go, they're going, and again, this is the be, not the beginning of this. We're at the end of it. And again, what did they ask, Mark 13? What are the signs? And he says, well, when you hear rumors of wars and earthquakes and all that, that's not it. That's just the beginning. <laughs> and when we get over here at the end, boom, now you're going to see this. Now, if you again, if you think about verse 25 and that cosmic disturbances in the heavenly bodies out there, then the earth gets impacted as well. Remember in Isaiah 24 when the earth is strewn and walking around like a drunken drunken 
You don't, you don't, look, Isaiah 24, hold on to Luke. Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24 and verse, uh, Isaiah 24, 20. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage. <laughs> I mean, that's some shaking up. That is, there's the perplexity, Luke 21, 25. With perplex, distresses of nature, with perplexity. I saw a thing the other day on Facebook that they showed the Statue of Liberty in 1970, 71, right in there, and they showed the water level. And then they showed the water level of 2022, and you know what? It's, like, it's the same. So much for climate warming and all that global stuff. It, it hasn't changed. And, oh, well, it's an island. Yeah, but it hasn't changed. If the water level was rising, our Statue of Liberty would be underwater, but it's not. So, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about this goofball-y stuff here. We're talking... What does the verses say? What does he say? Hey, there's going to be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, the stresses of nature, because they're going to look up, see all that going on up there, and you know what's going to happen? Is they're going to begin to have some issues. Job 38, talking about the constellations and the star and the skies out there and how they have an influence of the heavenly body on the earth and that cosmic influence. Man, you don't have to worry about nothing until you see that. And when you see that, then the Son of Man's coming back in power and glory, and he's time to clean the clocks. Verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And again, those powers are the ordinances that God has established out there in creation. Verse 27, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, notice, then look up. Isn't that interesting? And lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. They're not to be worried about anything until what happens? The sun, the moon, and the stars start. Then they do what? Look up, because who's coming? Their redemption is nigh. When they see these signs of judgment, then they know that Jehovah is on his way, that the Lord is on his way. And what happens is, when you come back to Mark 13, because that's where we're studying out of, is you have to begin to understand that these signs there are pictures of judgment. Now, I want you to look, if you will, at verse 26, Mark 13, 26, 26. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the what? Now, let's think about that cloud as we look at some of these things. The cloud there are not angels, all right? Cloud in your Bible carries different, it, it, well, context will tell you what he's talking about. Because when you read verse 24 and 25, I know what gets said. That's not literally happening. Because the sun shall be darkened. So the, 
and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall. So, and my question is, is why, why can't it be literal? See, I believe it is literal, okay, because of that issue of the cloud and the things that are going to begin now to hide. And again, they use this verse to mock the Bible and say, see, look, we know the sun can't stand still. And, we see. and it's like, you know, mock away, you'll get your day. But yet there's no reason why you can't take these passages literal. They do. Look, look, look with me at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3. And I'll be honest with you, when you go into the Old Testament, creation was, the earth and its creation is for Israel. And when you get reading back here about the earth and everything, I'll be, I know believers that get trapped into this stuff and taken off by every controversy and conspiracy theory out there. And it's just like, why? You, this is not us. Our home's in the heavenly places. The earth belongs to Israel. Let them worry about it. The question back there uh, that he asked uh, Israel. Uh, oh, where did it go? Come on. Thank you. And in, in Isaiah 40, verse 21, Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof, and off he goes. That isn't about you. That's not our job. Our job as ambassadors is grace and peace, and he would have all men get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's our job. This belongs to, by the way, the answer to every question for Israel is yes. They did know. They did understand. And it was established by the issue of observing the Sabbath back in Genesis on the seventh day. See, it's all linked. You can't just, you can't just cut one piece out and do this. Get off the soapbox. Second Peter 3. Look at, how, look at these guys. Peter took this as literal. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that, they, that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Like, what's he, what's, look at what he just said. He goes, this old earth is going away. The heavens we know are going to... Now, when he says heavens, he's not talking about heavenly places like where we're at. He's talking about the planetarial system out there, that old thing. Verse 12, looking for and hastening unto... Now watch, the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to the, his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. What I want you to catch as we go through some of these Old Testament passages here is the connection between the elements passing away and the day of the Lord, judgment. This stuff doesn't just happen because, oh, let's, let's, let's play a trick on man. Boom. By the way, you remember why the sun stood still? They had to fight. They had to win the victory. Judgment was happening. See, come back with me to Isaiah 13. 
Just notice this all through your Old Testament. But again, what do the verses actually say? Black and white. Not what we want them to say, not what we're looking at. So literally these things are happening, but these signs are associated with judgment. Isaiah 13, look at verse 6. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Okay? Verse 7. How ye, by the way, for the day of the Lord. <laughs> this is the hard part, guys. You got to go through this. You got to, it's going to, by the way, the day. Israel's day. It started do you, 6 p.m. in the darkness, doesn't it? Then the daylight comes. Remember Malachi 3? He's the sun, S-U-N, rising with healing in his wings, capital S. You see, it's going to start in darkness, and then when he comes back, it's going to be light, daylight. Verse 7, there shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. There shall be, they, they shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flame. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. So where are we? We're cruel. We're in the darkness. We're in judgment. Now watch verse 10. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogance of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. So do you see verse 10, what's going to happen out there? And it's associated with judgment. In connection to the heavens, associated with judgment, destruction. The destruction of the Antichrist and the hypocritical nation of Israel. So darkness is a picture of judgment. Come over to Ezekiel 32. Remember on the cross, when the Lord hangs there, we have three hours of darkness. Actually, we have two kind of darknesses. We have a spiritual darkness where he's defeating the adversary, but then we have the darkness that covered the sun and blotted that out. So you know what you have? You have creation working hand in hand with creator in what? Judgment. Smacking it down. When he comes and pours out his wrath, on his enemies, where he's going to destroy the Antichrist, the satanic policy, where he's going to do all that. You know what creation does? Creation just comes up and goes and works right in line with them. Creation comes up and doesn't give light to guide and provide comfort in that dark time. Creation just comes right in and does what needs to be done. Now, Ezekiel, I told you that, right? 32. And then we're going to go to Job 36, but Ezekiel 32. Again, a second, prophetically, we're looking toward the second coming. The Lord is talking here, verse 7. 
And when I shall put thee out, I will cover the heaven and make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun, watch, with a cloud. And the moon shall not give her light. That's how he's going to do this. It isn't that the, the sun's, you know, if a star fell to the earth, it would hurt. It isn't, it's turning it out. By the way, the wise men, I, I was reading a thing about the star that the wise men saw. You know that's not a real star. Stars don't move like that. That was an angel, okay? Shocker. All right, but here, how how does he do this? He takes that cloud, and he covers it. When you and I meet the Lord in the cloud in the air, you want to make them angels? You go right ahead. I think it's something far deeper than that, and that is that cloud, that 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 tremendous rain cloud that keeps the sun out, and it takes his glory and hides that from the world to see. Now, we're on the other side of that cloud, so what do we see? You know, you know how you get in an airplane and you go up above the storm and it's a bright, beautiful, sunshiny day, but when you come underneath, you know, fly into Chicago anytime and you, you can experience it, okay? That's what he's doing here. What does he do? He, there's the atmospheric disturbances. He's covering it with a cloud. By the way, verse 8. I'm sorry, finish verse 7. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light, and the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over thee, and set darkness upon thy land, saith the Lord God. Israel's in a complete blackout, total blackout. No light to guide, no light to give comfort. Have you ever been stuck in a dark, and, and you find some light, and it's like great comfort, because now I can see? None of that. Complete shutdown. Uh, Job. 36. Job. Again, how does he do it? He does it with a cloud. What? A cloud. He's going to return in great power and glory, but where's he returning? In the cloud. In Acts 1 there, when he goes up, what does those angels say? The way you see him go up into the clouds, it's the same way he's coming back. When we talk about the route of the second coming and how all that works and he's coming back. Think about that. He comes down out of the north, hits that land down there. It's a desert land. You know what he's kicking up? A big old haboob, a big old dust cloud, and you can't see. Job 36, verse 32. With clouds he covereth the light, and commandeth it not to shine by the cloud that cometh betwixt. Clouds, not... The cloud that comes. So when he, ta when he talks here about the sun not shining, and he, he's not talking about all of a sudden he just unplugged it and it went out. Okay? And actually in Revelation in the new heaven and the new earth, and it talks about they don't need the sun. The sun didn't stop burning. It's still there. It's just not there now for what it's there here now. Okay? Because, exactly, the true light is there. So when he talks here about all of this, uh, come over to Joel. Joel. You've got to find Joel. Dole, Dole, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. You have to be careful. Re what is actually said? 
don't read into this stuff. It's pretty. It's straightforward. The ad, the satanic policy of evil to dupe the believer today, to dupe Israel, is to read stuff into this. So you got to be careful. It's all associated with the cloud. Um, you remember, uh, though I walk through the val- the shadow of death. Cloud goes over. What does it cast? Cast a shadow of death and darkness. You go read in Exodus when that death angel came over, and it was the shadow of it that gets them. Joel chapter two. Just interesting. Again, uh, we're Joel here. Uh, Peter's going to quote this in Acts. So we're second coming. Joel two verse ten. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble before, shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw thy shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Notice the armies of God. By the way, the in verse uh, 10 there, the earth shall shake before them. The them there are the armies of God in verse 11. That's who he's talking about. What's The sun and the moon, what, the lights go out. The, 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 that atmospheric disturbance associated with the judgment, the return of Christ as he now is going to go in and pass through the land great tremendous destruction you're in chapter 2 drop down to verse 28 and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions there's Acts 2 Peter quotes that And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Verse 30, and I will show wonders in heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Again, that's all Acts 2. By the way, the moon's going to be turned into blood. That's not the blood moon nonsense you hear about. That's just stupidity. Okay? This is, this is associated with his what? His return. Okay? Chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Here's the battle of Armageddon. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Again, the day judgment all associated with his coming back. Haggai. Little book called Haggai. You know where that's at? 
sits in between the Z's, Zephaniah and Zechariah. But you knew that already. Haggai, chapter 2. One day you can meet Haggai and said, I read your book. When we go through them in the Minor Prophets, there's a very fascinating information here. Haggai 2, look at verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Shake. The idea there, you know how you make popcorn in a, pop, in a bag in the microwave? And you come out and you just shake it out, but there's those few kernels left in there, and you do what with it? You really shake it. That's what he's doing. Turns it all upside. Shake. Again, second coming. This is when he's going to do this. Now, drop to verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. There's the Antichrist. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of uh, Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee a signet, and for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And what day? In that day. Day of what? Day of judgment. By the way, if you come, on, come over to uh, Hebrews 12, this gets quoted in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 here. He's going to come along and he's going to shake out the, the heathen. But the Hebrews, that believing remnant, they have a kingdom that will not be shaken. Hebrews 12, 26. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signify the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Isn't that interesting? You know what he says? I'm going to reach over there. I'm going to Daniel 2:44 and 45 it, and I'm going to be that stone, and I'm going to lay waste to the Gentile nations, and I'm going to set my kingdom up. I'm going to shake them out, destroy them, but my folk, my people will never be moved. So when you come back to Mark 13, verse 24 and 25, these events here, are it's, it's literal stuff associated with judgment at a second coming. Okay? Now watch verse 26. Just kind of get this in your mind. We'll pick up here. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now think about this. All of that up there is dark. You've got a blackout. And then all of a sudden, he comes. Now, do you remember one passage, 2 Thessalonians 2. Do you remember how he comes back? 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. 2, 8. 
And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy, now watch, with the brightness of his coming. You see, the darkness, he's, it's completely dark, and yet when they see him, what do they see? The power and glory, the brightness of his coming. So the backdrop is dark, and here comes the light. Come over to Isaiah 30. Just, it's just fascinating, and I will, just a few minutes, okay? I know the hour's up, but Isaiah 30, when's that ever stopped me, right? Isaiah 30, okay, look at verse 27. Behold, behold, the name of the Lord cometh from far, burning with his anger, and the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue as a devouring fire, and his breath as an overflowing stream shall reach to the midst of the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of vanity. There shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. He shall have a song as in the night when a holy solemnity is kept, and the gladness of heart is kept. I'm sorry, as when one goeth with a pipe to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel. And the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard and shall show the lightning down of his arm with the indignation of his anger and with the flame of a devouring fire with scattering and tempests and hailstones. For through the voice of the Lord, there's Revelation 19, shall the Assyrian be beaten down which smote with the rod. There it is. He's destroying the Antichrist. But what's the backdrop? Darkness. And yet here he comes. Can you imagine lightning down his arms? I think about all of Hollywood's thing with Zeus and all those guys. And, and people go, ooh, where'd they get that from? Right there. The lightning of his arms. There they are. See, now, if you look back up at verse 26, Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold, as the light of seven days, in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their... That is... That is the result of his coming, is verse 26. It is the opposite of darkness. Think about that. The sun is now seven times brighter. The moon is brighter. So when we go back to Mark 13, we'll have to pick up with all this. That's the power and glory that he's coming back in. Again, when he comes back, it's all associated with judgment. This isn't the beginning. This is at the end. But in those days after that tribulation, the 70 weeks has come to a conclusion. Now he's coming back and he's weighing them waste. So when we're reading here, you don't have to make this stuff figurative and you know, try to whisk it away, keep it literal, because, again, there's a cloud that's going to cover it up. 
By the way, you go to Psalms 104, he covers it up with the cloud, with the garment. You go to Isaiah 44, 45, he create, and he, he's got a darkness. Darkness in Scripture is always associated, no, I shouldn't say always, because somebody will pull up something, but nine out of ten times, it's with judgment. It's darkness that comprehended not. Darkness that could be felt. That's all spiritual issues. By the way, Jude 6 and 2 Peter 2, we have chains of everlasting darkness. Chains of darkness hold those that angelic uh, fall, fallen angels and so forth. So when you read this stuff, what's happening here is it's time for judgment. That's all that's happening. Nothing else, nothing, you know, but yet creation is realizing what? It's time for judgment, so we have to do our part. Jehovah's doing his, creator's doing his, we're doing ours. Okay, now we'll pick up in 24, 25, 26, 27 again next time and get this issue of the the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and then going out and catching, gathering up Israel. We'll we'll take another time after that, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for your word, the ability to look into it, to study it, to see what it says, and then to just simply believe what it says. And give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it. In your name we pray. Amen.